Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Get ready for a life-changing message from Pastor Jim as he teaches in a series called Hannah versus Miley. Which kid are you going to grow up to be? If you're ever in our area, we want to personally invite you to be a part of our regular services here at Joy Church and be our special guest. You can visit our website at joychurch.net for more details on service times and events. Very excited about this series. It's session number three called Hannah or Miley. And I love the subtitle. You know how I'm into subtitles. Because it's not about creating a better world for your child, but creating a better child for this world. Let me say right off the bat, if you got kids or don't have kids, this session today will talk to you in a big way. This is for everybody in the house. It will minister to you. I'm going to uh, venture out into some interesting waters today. I think this is going to help you. Uh, in a very significant way. And let me say right off the bat, we're going to start with this stat. This is an eye-opener. And if you do have kids, this ought to concern everybody in the house. Check it out. Look at this. 70% of all youth that grow up in church, once they go through college, never return to any church. How many got kids? How many of that is a concerning stat? It ought to be to everybody in the house. I got a 13-year-old boy in the front row. I was just talking to a wonderful man of God, and he was saying how much you've grown. He said, man, that kid's going to be tall. He, here's what he told me. He said, you better be nice to him now because he's going to be a lot bigger than you. <laughs> I know that. I'm, 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 I'm gonna, and I'm going to keep taking my steroids and working out, staying ahead of him. Look, he's up down there. This is why Eddie is here, just to protect me from you. Want you to know I got a kid and I'm concerned about that stat. I also want you to know that Joy Church is committed to reversing that stat. Anybody else in the house ready for that? How many got kids? One more time. You, you, you got them? How many know our kids can be a handful? Check it out. Miss Pearson? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm calling because, you know, we're only a couple of days into the school year and Johnny is misbehaving. Uh huh. You're going to need to come and pick him up. Huh. Well, well, wait a minute. I had Johnny with me for three months during this summer break and I never called you once to let you know he misbehaved. How many know our kids could be a handful? Come on, come on. It's true. And let me say right off the bat, uh, you know, I entitled this Hannah versus Miley. Please know 
We're in no way, shape, or form condemning uh, Miley Cyrus. That's not what we're talking about. You know that. That just is representative. She is representative of that staff, a national figure that you can get your arms around because she grew up right outside of Nashville on a farm very close by, gave her life to Jesus Christ at eight, got water baptized, made a promise to her dad, took on a purity ring that she would stay physically pure until she got married, but somehow she got way off the Jesus track, getting not mad at her at all. How many need grace and mercy just like she does? I certainly do. But she, again, is representative nationally of a stat, something we can get our arms around that we must take a look at so that we can reverse. Me and Kevin want to know about this. So let's review quickly. We'll jump into new territory today, and we're going to cover some real important things that I think will challenge everybody in the house. Let's talk about it. How do our kids fall away if, if we can identify it first and we can plug up these holes? Let's check it out. Seven facets that foster a child leaving their faith. Number one, a false profession. All of these will begin with an F so that they're easy to remember. A false profession. We talked about this from 1 John chapter 2, 18 and 19. The Bible says that they were with us, but they went out from us, showing that they were really never with us in the first place. In other words, people make false professions. They walk an aisle. They pray a prayer. I know I did. When I was eight years old, I, I prayed a prayer that I did not mean. I did not give my life actually to Jesus until I was 20. We talked to you about two facets of a false profession. Remember them? Number one, many times children know about Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. Second thing that we talked to you about was children know their mother church, just not their father God. And I am committed, both with my son and with your kids, I want our kids to know Jesus Christ personally, have a relationship with him, not religion. How many know in Middle Tennessee there are more Christians than there are people? Uh, how many understand that? How many walking into a garage does not make you walking uh, does not make you a car? You you can beep, you can do whatever you want, but that does not make you a car. Sticking your head in the oven does not make you a biscuit. Just because you go to church, that does not make you a Christian. Now I obviously am biased for churches, but I'm clearly biased for churches that teach you how to have a relationship with Him. Second thing that we talked about, why our kids leave the faith, number two, is fakeness. Ever say fakeness? Guys, our kids have what I call a fakeometer. I mean, they can see phony baloney a million miles away. Isn't it true? The Bible says, 2 Timothy 1.5, the Bible says that we ought to have genuine faith. Uh, the Greek word genuine is the Greek word ahupokrites, which means non-hypocritical faith. Literally, it's talking about a Greek theater term, one who live, lives behind a mask, comes to church, hallelujah, but then in their heart, what's it to you? And how many know God nor our kids are looking for perfection? That's not what we're talking about. But we cannot be fake. Remember the life points about fake that we talked about? Number one, when a parent's life at home doesn't match a parent's life at church, it will negatively impact the faith of our kids. Second thing that we talked about is fake faith is passed along just like genuine faith by example. Third thing that we talked about why our kids leave the faith is friends. This is a huge one and it affects adults as well. 
You know my nuggets. I say them all the time. Show me your three closest friends and I'll show you you. Show me your th three closest friends and I'll show you your future. How many know association really does give us motivation for our destination? Proverbs 12, 26, the Bible says we ought to choose our friends wisely. Everybody say wisely. Fourth thing that we talked about is fame. Our kids are likely not going to reach the level of fame that Miley has. We get that. But how many know we push our kids inadvertently towards sports and cheerleading? And, of course, there's nothing wrong with those things. But we have to be cautious that we don't prioritize those things over God, over church, over seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I watch a lot of people with a good heart, a lot of parents with a good heart, inadvertently push our kids towards a culture that wants to kill them. How many know this culture values looks and athletic pro uh, prowess and, 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 and sex and sarcasm? But how many know God doesn't? God values love and he values character and he values being a servant and he values being a man or woman of God, a man or woman of faithfulness. With my son, I, I thank God, you know, my, you know, He's, he's keeping up with the latest trends and all. And that's fine. I try to do the same thing. At least people try to do it for me. My wife tries to dress me up. How many know you can dress me up, but you can't take me out? <laughs> I'm trying to stay a little bit relevant now that I'm 54 years old. I get that. There's no problem with any of that. But we have to be cautious that we're not emphasizing the wrong thing. So important we get this. We live in a generation that vilifies a person like Tim Tebow ridicules Tim Tebow because he stays pure as a, as a big, strong, good-looking man of God. He's made a vow to stay pure until he gets married, and people ridicule and vilify him. And yet we glorify all these other guys over with multiple sex partners. I don't know about you, but that's upside down. Tim Tebow, wrong team, right coach. Some of you will get that. Some of you will get that. But we push them towards sometimes a culture that's trying to kill them. Check out two facets on fame. Number one, popularity is when you're liked by others. Security is when you're liked by yourself. Maturity is when you know you are loved by God. Second thing that you need to know about fame, celebrities are visible, but heroes are usable. You know, and I know, we live in a culture where people are famous for being famous. They have a reality television show or whatever, and therefore they're famous for being famous. They've not contributed anything to society. They're just famous for being famous. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But how many know there's a difference between a celebrity who's very visible and a hero who is very usable? We have a woman that comes to church. Her name is Gwen Edlin. Well, she comes here all the time when she's not in some other country ministering the gospel. She is 84 years old. She is a nurse. She works full-time as a nurse. She's the most amazing woman of God I've ever seen. She travels about 30, 40 minutes to get here all the time. She's gone to Muslim countries where I cannot go, and she has literally won hundreds of Muslims to Jesus Christ. She's gone up into some of the highest mountains where they still, listen, still, their religion still sacrifices babies to false gods. And she's gone up into those mountains to share the gospel with people that no one else would want to share the gospel with. She, my friends, is a hero. 
She's never going to be on ESPN. She's never going to be on Time Magazine. She's never going to be on any of those things, not even TMZ. <laughs> but yet she is a hero. Fifth thing that we need to understand, we've talked to you about over the last number of weekends, is the follow-up decision. Never say the follow-up decision. So many times our kids, they make a decision for the Lord, but they don't make a follow-up decision. Remember the facets we talked to you about, the follow-up decision? Follow-up decisions are not a matter of salvation. Follow-up decisions are a matter of surrender. And not only is this true for our kids, but this is true for us adults. Remember this life point because this augments what I'm saying here. We must teach our children whatever they hold back from God will end up a mess. Whatever we give to God will end up blessed. And moms and dads and every adult in the house, that counts for us too. And a lot of times we pray a prayer and we walk in. I always say, okay, Jesus, uh, come into my heart. And now we're going to heaven, yay. But then we don't surrender our lives to the Lord because we're afraid to. Because we don't understand how much he loves us. And his plan for our life is better and greater than we could ever plan for ourselves. One more time, how many got kids? How many know our kids can be a little bit from time to time self-centered? Have you noticed that? But every once in a while, they can surprise us. Check it out. at his front door. Yes, please hurry. I'm the one that dialed 911. I saw the whole thing happen. Sir. Yes. Sir. Okay, we are with the EMS. Uh-huh. All right? And your neighbor called 911 because okay. you fainted. What happened? Sir, how did you faint? It was enough to make anybody faint. My son had asked me the keys to the garage, and instead of driving the car out, he came out with the lawnmower. Sir, sir, sir. sir. Oh, come on. Every once in a while, our kids can surprise us. True? That's true. Our sixth F, why our kids leave the faith in so many ways, check it out, is foundation. We don't lay a proper foundation in their lives. Remember this life point, and it really is true. A building will never grow beyond its foundation, neither will your child. We must lay that foundation on the word of the living God. We're here as a church to help you but it's got to be taken back to the home. Now, longest review known to man, how many are ready for new territory? Here we go, number seven, and here's the good news. We're only going to do this one F today. How many does that lull into a false sense of security? How many believe I got subpoints coming somewhere? All right, you're a smart B, you're a smart group. Check it out. Number seven, focusing on the balance of grace and truth. This is huge. What I'm about to say, please put on mature ears. I need you to not be politically correct this morning, but I do need you to be biblically correct this morning. Are, are you ready? Jesus, talking about Jesus in John chapter 1, 16 and 17, the Bible says that Moses came, the law came by Moses. But Jesus, with Jesus came, watch this now, grace 
and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. We must, as parents, as a church, as adults, as individuals, balance out grace and truth in our lives. Because if we don't, our kids and this generation are going to get in a ditch over here or a ditch over here, and we need to keep them out of both. What do you mean, Pastor? Let me show you this dichotomy because this is occurring in the culture today as we speak, and it really is a dichotomy. Check it out. Look at this. Culture, our culture preaches tolerance. You know that's true. But Christianity, as Christians, we preach repentance. And how many know those two thought processes directly oppose one another? Because we live in a culture, you know and I know, we live in a culture that just lives and breathes tolerance. Oh, you got to be tolerant. Yeah, everybody has. Man, i got to tell you, that's one of my pet peeve words. Everybody needs to be tolerant. of Isn't it amazing that the people that want us to be tolerant of everything are tolerant of everything but Christianity? I've got about eight people that agree with that, and the rest of them are being very tolerant. Yeah, yeah. It's true, you know, it's true. We live in a, in a culture that just preaches and espouses. You've got to be tolerant, you've got to be tolerant, you've got to be tolerant, you've got to be tolerant. But yet, they are tolerant about everything and everyone but Christianity. And yet the Bible teaches us, as the Word of God teaches us, the concept of repentance goes directly opposed to tolerance. Now, right off the bat, I say that word, and I can see by your lovely faces and your thunderous silence that that word repentance is scary because we think right away, you know, John the Baptist and locusts and camel hair and eating honey and, you know, repent. You're up here and note, you know, some guy in a three-piece suit, you know, slick back hair, you know, he's got three names, Billy Bob, Baptist or whatever, and it's like, repent, repent, and we get scared by that word. Don't be scared by that word. It's a very biblical word. It is the Greek word, listen, metanoia. It's a compound Greek word, meta, change, noia, mind. When I repent, I'm just changing my mind. Watch this now. When I repent, I'm going my way. God's word shows me something different. I repent and I turn around and change my mind and go a different way. That's repentance. It's really simple. It's, matter of fact, beneficial to everybody in the house. If we swim downstream with the culture and God is telling us to repent, I promise you, listen to me closely, there's a waterfall waiting for us. He's not trying to hurt you or take anything away from you. He's a good God, and he loves you. And when he says, turn around and go a different way, there is a picnic area waiting for you. You may have to swim upstream to do it, but I promise when you get there, it'll be worth it. So don't be afraid of that word. But yet, you can see the clash of cultures. Here's the Christian culture that teaches and preaches repentance, turn around, go God's way. And here's the culture over here in the world that teaches and preaches tolerance. Whatever feels good. You know that's true right now. We're not deciding what bathroom we're going in based on our plumbing. We're deciding what bathroom we're going in based on how we feel when we wake up in the morning. Come on. You know I'm telling you the truth. 
in, in Georgia and in North Carolina, they pass laws. I, I, I've got to admit, I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I was talking about this last night with my wife. I'm 54 years old, and I know I, to some of you that seems like a dinosaur, but I am amazed that I even have to deal with this subject matter. I'm absolutely amazed. Uh, they passed a law in Georgia, and then all of a sudden, uh, 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 all Hades broke out against the state of Georgia. And the simple law, if you've got guy plumbing, go to the guy bathroom. If you've got girl plumbing, go to the girl bathroom. I don't know. It seems simple to me. You say, well, wait a minute now. We need to be tolerant. Well, wait a minute, Mr. Tolerant. What about the 13-year-old girl who's in her, the women's bathroom? And some big old bruiser who happens to wake up that day and feel like they're a girl, they're going to go in that bathroom. And I, I happen to have a 13-year-old boy, but if I had a 13-year-old girl, I would be concerned about her rights. And I know I'm going to get a mean email from somebody that's tolerant. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll endeavor to do that. And I'm not trying to be mean or unkind. That doesn't make me a hater. That just makes me someone with, I don't know, common sense. Or uncommon sense. It takes a lot of courage to do what I'm doing and say what I'm saying. I know this is not PC, but this is BC. Biblically correct. So we're having this culture... And, and, and there's this real divide, and how do we navigate this correctly? Because we do need to navigate it correctly. I mean, gosh, they pass that law, as I mentioned, in North Carolina. I just saw on the scroll on ESPN, because I'm a big sports guy, one of the main basketball sportscasters uh, suggested that they boycott North Carolina because the NBA was going to have their all-star game uh, in North Carolina. And the, one of the main sportscasters guys, which I like, said we ought to boycott North Carolina simply because of that law. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Disney and the NFL decided that they were going to boycott Georgia because of that law. Oh, my goodness. Guys, what's going on with this culture? It is upside down. How do we navigate this water correctly? Because if we don't, our kids are going to be stuck in some sort of ditch over here in grace or over here in truth. Let's talk about it because Jesus came to give us grace and truth. Are you ready for this? Is anybody interested? I can, I can at least tell now that you're awake. Earlier when I was going through the review, it's like, okay, this is a review. I've heard this before. And then all of a sudden I started talking about bathrooms and you went, ooh, I'm up. I'm interested. This sounds good. All right, here we go. Number one, check it out. Grace by itself produces license. Truth by itself produces legalism. We must stay out of both ditches or our kids are going to get in a ditch over here or a ditch over here. Now, in the body of Christ right now, God is emphasizing the subject matter of grace. They sang about it beautifully, our, our praise team. I've been teaching grace for years and years and years. How many are thankful for the grace of God? I taught about it before it was cool and on and on and on. And God is emphasizing that in the body of Christ today. There's no question about that. But I do want you to know, it seems like any time that God emphasizes anything, 
people take it and run it into a ditch. And so I want to make sure we don't get into a ditch. The grace teachers now, many of them are now teaching, and here's a ditch that we can't have our kids get in. They're teaching now that you no longer, Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. How many know that is true? No question about that. But because of that, you no longer need to receive Jesus as Lord. That everybody's going to heaven because Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing to teach. What people don't understand is Jesus Christ bore our sins and bore my sins and bore your sins on the cross. Aren't you glad he did? Thank God. But and I hear this all the time. You say, well, I'm forgiven because of what Jesus bore on the cross. He bore my sins, so I'm forgiven. That's not the case at all. Sin, my sin, your sin, watch this now, was judged on the cross. God poured out his wrath on Jesus, and now he is satisfied. He is more than satisfied because of what Jesus has done because of my sin and yours. Jesus bore our sin on the cross. He judged sin on the cross. But you don't and I don't receive forgiveness until you receive by faith what he did in his grace. Just because he bore our sins doesn't mean that everybody's going to heaven. How many know whatever God does in his grace, you must receive by faith? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace are we saved through faith. And that faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So my sin, your sin was judged on the cross. But we receive forgiveness when we receive what he's done by faith. Also, a teaching now going around the body of Christ, as a believer, we no longer have to confess our sins because sins have been dealt with past, present, and future, and they have been dealt with past, present, and future. But just as you understand, as just as I shared, sins were judged on the cross. The power of sin was broken on the cross. But please understand, when I mess up, I still have to fess up and not cover up. 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad he's a good God? But aren't you understanding that I must receive by faith what he's done in his grace? Otherwise, it does me no good. So if we get over here in the ditch called all grace, it brings us to license, and I'm seeing that in the body of Christ now. But in the same vein, if it's all truth, it brings us into the ditch of legalism. And boy, do we see that in the body of Christ where everybody is bad and, and church is all about don't do and don't do and don't do and don't do and don't do. Listen to me very clearly. I tell you this all the time at Joy Church. Joy Church is not a don't do church. Joy Church is a do-do church. When you walked in here, you stepped in it right away. Not about legalism. It's not about don't do. It's about do-do. Galatians 5, 16, I do walk in the Spirit, therefore I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not I don't walk in the lust of the flesh, and therefore somehow I work my way into the Spirit. That's the opposite. That's legalism. Second thing that we need to understand, we must be culturally relevant without being culturally compromising. 
Now, church, listen to me, please. This is huge what I'm saying here. And this is a delicate balance that I, as your pastor, must walk, and we as a congregation must walk, and we must walk it delicately, and we must do it with the Lord. This is something I talk to God about on a regular basis because I watch a lot of churches, and they're stuck in the 80s. Uh, how many know what I'm talking about? You know, they're still up in the praise to, you know, Father Abraham, he's one of us, and they've got felt boards with Noah on it. And, you know, Listen, you're not going to reach this generation with felt boards and Noah. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We must walk a delicate balance of being culturally relevant without being culturally compromising. Watch this now, church. I will do anything and everything to reach people that don't know Jesus Christ except compromise. We live in a generation where churches are user-friendly. They're so watered down from the Word of God, they're no longer effective. And someone said, well, pastor, if you don't go user-friendly, and listen to me very close. Someone said, is this a user-friendly church? Not at all, but this is a church that's friendly to users. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Because I want you to know we're not going to compromise on the Bible. Well, pastor, if you don't go user-friendly, the church is not going to grow. Listen to me very closely. If it means compromising to make this church grow, I choose not to grow. Please don't mistake me. I do want you to understand, and this is really important you do understand. I believe that there are still enough people out there that want the truth that the church will still grow. And we're going to do it, and we're going to do it in love, and we're going to be culturally relevant. We're not going to be stuck back here, but we're not going to be culturally compromising. You know I didn't give my life to the Lord till I was 20 years old, and I was a raging alcoholic before that. It's a total mess, and I want you to know I'm going to do everything that I can to reach that alcoholic out there because when I do, I'm just reaching me by the grace of God. You, I'm going to do everything I can, but I'm, and I'm, I mean, I'll be outside the bar waiting for him. I'll clean him up when he's standing in his own vomit because I've been there. But I'm not going to buy him a beer. And there are churches that are doing that. You know that? There are churches that are doing that just to reach people in the name of the Lord. They're going into bars, buying people alcohol, and saying, well, I want you to know God loves you. Thank you for your thunderous silence. That was touching. I'll be outside the bar waiting for him. I'm going to clean him up with all of his vomit because I've been there. I'm going to do everything. I, I'm going to feed him. I'm going to love him. I'm not going to give him money to buy more beer, but I'm gonna, I'll buy his gas. Is anybody out there? But I'm not going to compromise to reach him. Got to be culturally relevant without being culturally compromising. Third thing that we need to know, check it out. You gain them by serving them. You don't gain them by compromising. 1 Corinthians 9.19, the Bible says very clearly, the Bible says I've been made free from all men. I make myself their servant. And watch this now. Therefore... I gain them. I win them by serving them. What do you think that this church is all about? That landing that you saw that they were talking about in the video announcements, we are building a facility. And it's all about touching this community. It's a gift to the community. It's not really for us. We'll be the secondary beneficiaries of it. But it's not for us. It's for them. 
It's a food pantry to feed the poor during the week. It's going to be a place for the teens of the community and the children of the community to come. Make-a-wish kids that are walking through cancer where we can love on them and let them have fun and feed them and encourage them and then give them Jesus Christ at the end of the day. It's all for the community out there. We want to serve them. We don't gain them by compromising. We gain them by serving them. We gain them by showing them we love you in a tangible way. Now, I was gone for a week. I missed Wednesday, so I'm revved up today. (laughs) This is part of my passion point, and you need to understand this. This is huge. Fourth thing that you need to know. We must blend the proper balance of being a friend of sinners without being a friend of the world system. Now, this is huge. Look at those two verses, Luke 7, 34. Don't have time for it, but check it out at home, please. Luke 7, 34, the Bible says Jesus, watch this now, was a friend of sinners. James chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy with God. Doesn't it sound like those two verses totally clash? Jesus was a friend of sinners. James said if you're a friend of the world, that you're an enemy of God. How many know that seems like a clash? Seems like it contradicts, but oh no, it complements. And listen to me closely. Let me help you balance this. Jesus was a friend of sinners. You know that. Man, he hung around all the worst of the worst. He hung around prostitutes. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a scandal today. He hung around the worst of the worst, publicans and sinners and tax collectors. He hung around the worst of the worst. That's what they accused him of. He was a friend of sinners, but he always did it without compromising. Everybody in the house is a believer. We ought to have somebody in our life that doesn't know Jesus Christ that we are wooing and winning and loving and serving to gain them for the Lord. Everybody. I have five people that are excited about that The rest are just going, no, I'm a Christian. I like my little commune. I like my bubble. (laughs) Whatever happened to the salt of the earth? Whatever happened to the light of the world? Jesus' last words were not stay ye, but go ye. But then James said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy with God. Listen to me closely. Here's how you balance. It is the word, that word world is the word cosmos. It is the Greek word that means world system. When you are... You ought to be a friend of sinners, people, but not a friend of the system that's dragging people down to hell. Not a friend of a system that says, uh, depending on how you feel, you get to go in whatever bathroom you like. That's a system that is against the Word of God. But we need to be a friend of sinners. How many know we got to love the sinner? And hate the sin. And you got to balance it and you got to do it right. And as a church, if we don't do that, our kids are going to be lost. Fifth thing that we need to really talk about is when you bring the crossover, make sure you bring the crossover. I hear a lot of talk about crossing over. And well, we got to cross over and reach it. Well, that's good. But when you cross over, make sure you bring the cross over. Make sure you bring Jesus with you. Sixth thing that we need to talk about is we must initially protect our kids from the world to eventually point our kids at the world. Our jobs as moms and dads is to initially protect them from the world. But the goal is not to get them in some little Christian commune. 
You know how that is. Where it's like, all right, well, here we are. We got, we're in a little church bubble, and we, we just in our little chairs, and, and it's so exciting. We have our own everything. We churn our own butter, and, and we have our own militia, and we grow our own vegetables. And here we are in a little Christian commune. And so uh, we just sit in our little church, and you're bad, and you're bad, and that's bad, and that's not good, and you're bad, and you're a thinner. You're a bad, bad, bad thinner. I mean, oh, when you're a thinner and not a sinner, that's even worse. I'm a thinner. You're a thinner. How many out there are painters? So you can repaint and thin no more. That was for Barry Brassfield back in the back. That was just for Barry. Some of you get that driving home. I had some guy, first time, uh, he, he's here today, bless his heart. Or he's here on Saturday. We're in the visitor reception room. He said, I just love that. What I, the message is, I just love that message today. You got guts. I'd like to sit down with you and talk to you in my garage. And I have so many questions for you. And then I made a joke, and he didn't get it. And he said, I got to be honest with you. He said, I didn't like your jokes. <laughs> That's what he said. He liked the message, but he didn't like my jokes. What the heck? <laughs> so I slapped him. I said, get out of the, you're eating my food. Get out of here. <laughs> you get the, the pastor, you get the jokes. It's just part of the deal. <laughs> well, you're there. They're corny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I admit to that. And the older I get, the cornier they get. <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> We've got to initially protect our kids from the world to eventually point our kids at the world. My job, your job as a parent, is to protect our kids from all that junk out there. Let life teach as we go. But then my goal for my son, your goal for your kid, ought to be when our kids are old enough and they've got Christianity down in their heart and foundation, man, they ought to be out there winning the world for Jesus. Seventh thing that we need to understand is we must be for more things than we're against. This is huge. Most churches are against everything. Have you noticed that? Well, I'm against this. Huh? And listen, don't mistake me. We're against sin because God is against sin. You know why God is against sin? He's against sin because sin will kill us. And he's against anything that will kill us because he loves us. We're his kids. I'm against anything that would hurt this boy. Anything that would hurt him. I'm against that. So I want you to understand that. But I'm for more things than I'm against, and you ought to be too. We're for love, not just against hate. We're for righteousness, not just against sin. We're for joy, not just against depression. We're for healing, not just against sickness. We're for peace, not just against worry. We're for courage, not just against fear. You got to be for more things than you're against. For example, I'm against the AV booth making that loud noise while I'm preaching. But I'm for them. I love them. I hate what they do to me, but I love them. I'm the perfect blend of grace and truth. Is anybody home? Gotta, we got to match this. We got to match this. Grace and truth. I can't get you in a ditch over here. I can't get you in a ditch over here. I can't. The perfect scriptures, guys, and I, I don't have time to get in them, but I want you to check it out today. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is the perfect blend. This is Jesus in action with grace and truth. You remember the story? John chapter 8, verse 1, 
You remember, this is the story of the woman that was called in adultery. The Bible said, John chapter 8, verse 1, uh, he was on the Mount of Olives. John chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says, early in the morning, he went to the synagogue, and there he began to teach the people. And then in verse 3, and oh man, here's where it starts. All of a sudden, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how many know when the Pharisees and Sadducees come to church, the church service is about to take a different turn? Some of you are here today. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, guys. Hi. Uh, and you know what they did? The Bible says that they brought a woman caught in the middle of adultery, and they set her in the midst of the church. Now, think about that. That'd be like, I mean, just take it out of Sunday school lesson 101 and bring it into reality. That'd be like they've got three ushers standing in the back. they all got the same shirt on. What a coincidence. And these three ushers, that, you know, let's say they're Pharisees and Sadducees. They're not. They're awesome. But let's say all of a sudden they brought some woman right down here. Pastor, we caught this woman in adultery. Now, how many know that would change the church service? <laughs> Pastor Dave, well, here you go. That would change the church service big time. You know it's true. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says they caught her in the very act. In other words, in the middle of what was going on. Now, I have a couple of questions about this because I don't just read the Bible for Sunday school stuff. I read the Bible for what it says because you ought to check it out. I have a couple of questions about this. If they caught her in the very act, where's the guy? Because he ought to be there too if we're going to be fair. I at least thought I'd get an applause from you ladies out there. The men are. But the women, I thought I'd get at least a small applause. Where's the guy? Second problem I got with this scenario is if you caught him in the very act, what's your problem, peeping Tom? <laughs> Tom, the Pharisee. I mean, come on now. Caught him in the very act. So you know they're not there with good intention. And the Bible literally says that. They're there to tempt him. They ask him a question. And they said, okay, you know what Moses says about this. And right away, they're pitting Jesus against Moses. And Moses is the Old Testament hero. This is, you know, Charlton Heston. Everybody loved Charlton Heston. <laughs> you know what Moses said in the law about someone committed adultery. The, uh, the Old Testament says you ought, to, that you ought to stone them. Now, that puts Jesus in quite the quandary. Because if he doesn't follow the law, then they're going to go, whoa, whoa, buddy. You're not following the Bible. You're not following Moses, and he's the man. If he does stoner, then they're going to go, well, you're not this merciful guy that everybody said you were. They thought they had him. I love Jesus. You cannot paint Jesus into a corner. He's going to come out and embarrass you. I mean, when you're trying to stick it to him, he loves you. If you ask him a right-hearted question, he'll answer it because he loves you. But if you ask him a wrong-hearted question to trick him, Oh, not good business. <laughs> Jesus is the coolest, man. And without missing a beat, doesn't say squat, just stoops down and starts writing something in the sand. And the Bible says, as if the, he did not hear them. Totally ignored them. Nice question. Stoops down, starts writing something in the sand. Now, I love it. Someone said, what did he write, Pastor? Well, the Bible tells us what he wrote. You may not know this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, the Bible says that they that went astray, he wrote their names in the earth. 
Now, how many know if all of a sudden you know Jesus doesn't know you and you don't know him, and he stoops down and starts writing your name in the sand? How many know that's got my attention? <laughs> Number one, peeping Tom. Are you with me now? So he gets up from that, writing her names in the sand, and then they start doing it again. They're questioning him again. And he stoops down a second time. Now, the Bible doesn't say directly what he wrote, and then he starts writing something a second time. The Bible doesn't say exactly what he wrote, but I can tell you context strongly infers that he wrote down their sins. Because the Bible says that, that remember, remember what he said? He without the first sin cast the first stone. So if I know your name and I know your sin, so I start writing these ushers' name down. Brad. <laughs> Kleptomania. How <laughs> do know Brad, even though he brought him down, brought the woman down here, all of a sudden Brad starts moonwalking out of here. Isn't that true? Because the Bible says that their conscience convicted them. And from the eldest to the least, they all moon walked out of there. <laughs> and they were gone. Now it's Jesus and this woman standing alone. And he's the only one with the right to actually stone her. Because he said, he without sin, let him cast the first stone. Guess who qualifies? Jesus. But you know what he said? He said, woman... Where are your accusers? He said, she said, I'm paraphrasing. They moonwalked out of here. <laughs> and watch what Jesus said. The epitome of grace and truth. Neither do I condemn thee. That's grace. Go and sin no more. That's truth. He didn't just say, I know how it goes, girl. Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> he said, I don't condemn you. That's the grace of God. But then he followed up with truth. Woman, go and sin no more. I can't invent God in my own image and likeness. And that's what this culture has done in the name of tolerance. Go and sin no more. Woman, you could have better. You could go higher. Why are you making such a low decision when you have such a high calling? I don't condemn you. I am providing an atmosphere of love from which I am challenging you to higher heights. Amen. That's what we've endeavored to build this church on, those verses, to provide an atmosphere where people can come exactly as they are, hurting and messed up. How many know that it is a hospital for the sick? You know that. Wherever they are, hurting, messed up, alcoholics, homosexuals, wherever they are, they can come in in all of their hurt, in all of their wounds, in all of their junk, and we will love them right where they are. Neither do I condemn you. 
but then from that place of love and acceptance will challenge you. Go and sin no more because you've got to understand that sin is killing you. That's how it ought to be at this church. That's how it ought to be in our households, properly combining grace and truth. Listen to me. We're always going to define marriage just like Jesus defined marriage. Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 6, churches everywhere compromising on that. Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 6, they asked Jesus, uh, what about marriage? What about divorce? And he said, from the beginning, he pointed back to Genesis. He said, marriage consists of one man and one woman before God. Listen, don't get mad at me. I know people get mad at me about that. I'm not telling you my opinion on it. I'm telling you Jesus' thoughts on it. And we love him here. Because we define marriage as Jesus defines marriage does not make us a hater. And that's right away. You're, well, you're a hater. You're, I'm a homosexual and you're a hater. I'm not a hater in any way, shape, or form. We love you. We love you right where you are. We just simply define marriage as Jesus defined marriage. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover of Jesus. And you are underestimating the grace of God. Because I was an alcoholic. I was a total fornicator. I'd chase women every which way. I had the worst temper you're ever going to meet. I had a warrant out for my arrest for beating somebody up when I was 18 years old. And I know that shocks some people. But I want you to know, because of the grace of God, I stand where I stand in Christ alone. And you can too. No matter what you're here with today, you can too. Don't you underestimate the grace of God. Because listen to me closely. The grace of God is not the power of God to overlook sin. The grace of God is the power of God to overcome sin. He's a good God. Here at Joy Church, we're always going to teach the ideal. That's the Bible. But we're going to love people where they are. That's the real. We teach the ideal. We love on the real. How many know everybody in the house, including this pastor, has fallen short of the ideal? We're going to keep teaching the real because that's the standard, and we're not going to compromise on the standard. But we're going to love people who are walking through the real because that's everybody in the house. And just like that little woman caught in whatever we're caught in, we're not going to condemn you. Now go and sin no more.